0: Psalm 1913 1 says, "How blessed are those who are blameless in their way, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who keep His testimonies. With all their heart, they seek Him. Indeed, they do no wrong. They walk in His ways. You have commanded that your precepts be kept completely. If only my ways were unwavering in keeping your statutes, then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will thank you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Do not abandon me completely. So we're going to work our way through that psalm uh, in the coming months, if the Lord is willing. And it's one of, the, one of my favorite psalms. It talks about the Word of God constantly in there and what the Word does for us. And if we obey it, what the Lord will do for us. So it's one of, the, uh, one of my favorite psalms. So we're going to work our way through that. So let's uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together, and then we'll sing some uh, songs to the Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done
1: Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. I think that's a good place to stop. In the beginning, God. And I think if we were all honest this morning, we would say at some point in our life we've looked around and said, it's not quite like I planned. Not quite the way I thought it was going to be. But in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God had a plan. We see that in Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, you know the plans I have for you, for you to prosper, not be harmed, for you to have hope and to have a future. In the beginning, God. At the cross, God had a plan. And as we come around the table this morning prepare for communion, I'm sure when God was looking down from heaven, Jesus on the cross, I don't think he was thinking, I didn't see that coming. In the beginning, God had a plan. If we follow that plan, there's hope and there's future. Let's Let's pray. Father God, we just take so much comfort in the fact that in the beginning, God, in the end, God, all through our life, God. Father, we just thank you so much. For that. We thank you so much for your son and for the plan that he had in our salvation. We're so thankful that in the beginning, God, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
2: Good morning. Welcome to Heartland Christian Church. If you are new here um, or if you're looking for ways to get connected out on the welcome table, there is a little welcome card. So if you would go ahead and fill that out, you can hand it to anybody, really, or you can put it in the offering box and we'll take care of it. Um, first, we'll start off with some things that we do here to help in the community. So Matthew 25 Ministries, we collect um, Empty pill bottle uh, donations, um, and they take care of them from there. Used ink cartridges, um, we help to reduce cost of office supplies here at the church. Food pantry and closed closet every Thursday, 5 to 7, and the first Saturday of the month from 10 until noon. Women's Bible study uh, for the empty nesters kicked off last Thursday. Um, it's every Thursday from 10 a.m. until whenever they get done. Um, It is located at Ruth Liming's house, and if you have any questions about that, um, Sharon is not here today, but she is the contact for that. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 7.30, we have ReFit. It's a free ladies' dance fitness class. If you're interested in that, you can talk to Kristen. And for Heartland Kids, if you're looking to volunteer with any of the kiddos, um, we are looking for anyone who has a heart to serve in the ministry or in the children's um, in the children's classes and there is a sign up in the on the back table For tithes and offerings there's an offering box in the back offering box in the back of the sanctuary you can say that three times <laughs> Thank you
0: All righty, let's jump right in it's a uh turn together in our Bibles today to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. We're going to read verses 14 through 30, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. And when you get there, please stand for the reading of God's word. And the title of today's teaching is The Mission of the Messiah, Mission of the Messiah. In Luke 4, 14 through 30, the scriptures say, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding area." He was teaching in their synagogues and being honored by everyone. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to tell them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They all spoke well of him and were impressed by the words of grace that came from his mouth. And they kept saying, Isn't this Joseph's son? He told them, Certainly you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown everything we heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, Amen, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But truly I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut for three years and six months, while great famine came over all the land. Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, Yet not one of them was healed except Naaman the Syrian. All those who were in the synagogue were filled with rage when they heard these things. They got up and drove him out of the town. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the middle of them and went on his way. You may be seated. What is the mission of the Messiah? You know, it's important we have the right answer to that question. Because if we misunderstand the Messiah's mission, then we'll misunderstand what Jesus came to save us from, why Jesus came to the earth, and why Jesus is the only Savior. So Luke writes this passage to help us understand the mission of the Messiah. That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom we have in this country to open your word together this morning. And as we look at the mission of your son, the Messiah, help us to hear and accept the truth and give us grace to obey the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke starts this section of his narrative with Jesus going into Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the whole surrounding area heard about Jesus, and Jesus was teaching in Galilee in their synagogues. And in Mark 1:14, Mark tells us the message Jesus was teaching. He said, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. So people heard Jesus preach the kingdom of God had come near. They saw the miracles that he performed. They heard about the wisdom with which he spoke and the authority with which he talked. And in Luke 4:15, Luke says that, Jesus was being honored by everyone. So all was well with Jesus' ministry in Galilee until he came to a particular town in Galilee, the town of Nazareth, the town where Jesus had been brought up. And Luke goes on in the rest of this narrative to tell us the tragic results of Jesus' ministry in his hometown. In Luke four sixteen, Luke says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So it was Jesus' custom or his usual practice to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was Saturday, so Jesus would be at the synagogue on Saturday. And what they did in the Jewish synagogue was almost identical to what we do in the church. The synagogue was a place of worship and religious instruction. Like us, they had special buildings made as a place where God's people could gather. And like us, when they gathered, they prayed, they sang psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They had someone read the scriptures, and someone would explain the meaning of the scriptures and encourage God's people to obey the scriptures. So like we come to this building every Sunday, God's people would go to the synagogue every Saturday to sing and to pray and to hear God's word read and to hear the word of God taught and explained and to be encouraged to practice what they heard. So Jesus goes to his hometown and as usual, Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. He then stands up to read and he's given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus carefully unrolls the sacred scriptures and he finds the place where this powerful prophecy that we read in Luke four eighteen through 19 is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After Jesus read that passage of scripture, he rolled the scroll back up, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And at the end of Luke 4:20, Luke says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him everyone was focused on Jesus because he was both the reader and the teacher in the synagogue that day. So they're waiting to hear what Jesus would teach them about this passage of Scripture that he had just read. So nothing was unusual about any of this until Jesus said the words in Luke 4.21. Luke says that Jesus began to tell them, today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, it's hard to overestimate the importance of those words, The God's people had waited for centuries for their Messiah. And everyone in that synagogue knew that the passage Jesus read from Isaiah was a prediction about the coming Messiah, a prediction about the long-awaited, anointed one who would come and be the king of Israel. So when Jesus said, today this scripture is fulfilled, well, they all knew that he was claiming to be their Messiah. Now, I want to draw your attention to the end of Luke 4.19. One of the most important things that the Messiah would do when he came was proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was an important concept under the Old Covenant. As part of Israel's economic laws, every 50 years, something very special happened, something that was very good news for the poor. Every 50 years, all debts were canceled. All slaves were set free. All family property went back to its original owners, and all families returned to their own land. It was a year of new beginnings. It was called the year of jubilee, and this is something that we read about in Leviticus 25, 8 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, You shall count off seven weeks of years, count off seven years seven times, so that the duration of the seven weeks of years is 49 years. Then you shall sound loud blasts of the ram's horn. In the seventh month." On the 10th day, on the day of atonement, you are to have a ram's horn sounded throughout your land, so that you may set aside the 50th year as holy and proclaim liberty throughout the land for all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, so that each of you may return to his family, his family property, and each of you may return to his clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow the field, and you shall not reap the grain that grows by itself, and you shall not gather fruit from its unpruned vines. Because it's, it is a jubilee, it shall be holy for you. You may eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his family property. And then he goes on and on and on from there. But we'll start right there. So this is what Jesus was talking about in the synagogue. You and your ancestors have heard this scripture read for centuries. Today, the scripture is fulfilled. Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one you've been waiting for. I'm the one who's come to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. I'm the one who's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, Jesus is saying the year of jubilee has arrived. The ultimate year of jubilee has arrived. And as we start into Luke 4, well, it looks like the people in Nazareth are enthusiastic and they accept what Jesus says about himself. Luke says, they all spoke well of him and were impressed by the words of grace that came from his mouth. See, the people spoke well of Jesus as Jesus spoke to them about the year of God's grace. Jesus spoke to them about the grace that would come and the blessings that would come with the Messiah. They were impressed by his words. Because they thought that they understood the Messiah's mission. They thought he'd come to set them free, or or to free their nation from the oppression of the Romans. That was the messianic expectation for the Jews in the first century. They thought the Messiah would be a political ruler who would give them independence as a nation and release them from physical poverty. So when Jesus says, yeah, the year of Jubilee's come, I'm the Messiah, they all speak well of Jesus. Jesus. But then they started to discuss this among themselves. They began with these questions. They're like, no, wait a minute. How can this man be the Messiah? As Luke says in Luke 4, they kept asking, isn't this Joseph's son? In Mark 6, 2 and 3, Mark tells us the people were asking, where did this man learn these things? What is this wisdom that has been given to this man? How is it that miracles such as these are performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. See, all these questions show that the people in Jesus' hometown were not sure that Jesus was qualified from an earthly perspective to be their national leader. They knew his family. They'd seen Jesus grow up. No, he's nothing real special. He's just a carpenter's son. He's a carpenter himself. He's a poor peasant. We know his poor parents, his poor family, and they don't seem much like royalty to us, and they really don't seem like the fighting type. How can this man save us from Roman rule? And all these questions boil down to this one question How can this poor man fulfill the Messiah's mission to free us from our earthly enemies? So they rejected Jesus as the Messiah because they misunderstood his mission. And many today still reject Jesus for the same reason. You know, people still want Jesus to be something that he's not. They want Jesus to do something that he never promised to do. And people still think Jesus came to save them from their earthly enemies. Some think the Messiah's mission is to form a political party and fight political battles. Others think the Messiah's mission is to form a social justice group and fight social battles. Still others think the Messiah's mission is to align himself with a particular race of people and fight racial battles. But those who imagine that the Messiah's mission includes any of those things are no different than the Jews in Jesus' hometown who rejected him that day in Nazareth. Because the mission of the Messiah is not to fight political, social, or racial battles. And he does not call his people to fight any of those battles either. But the mission of the Messiah, the mission of Jesus, is to fight a spiritual battle against spiritual enemies and bring people into the kingdom of heaven, which is a kingdom that is not of this world. The Messiah came to save the whole world from sin, from Satan, And from death, and to recreate what was lost in the fall. The Messiah came to unite our fallen nature with his divine nature, so that through our union with him and through God's grace, we can share in the divine life and become like God as we submit ourselves to God's rule by obeying Christ's commands. This is so much bigger than any earthly, any national, social, or racial concerns that we could ever have. The kingdom of God is all encompassing. It holds hope not only for this life, but for the life to come. And it holds out that hope to anyone from any nation, from any social group, from any race who will trust in and obey King Jesus, who is the Messiah. And because those in the synagogue in Nazareth did not understand that this was the Messiah's mission, well, as Jesus continues to teach in the synagogue, the crowd's attitude toward Jesus changes from favorable to furious when they hear the words Jesus speaks in Luke 4, 23 through 24. Jesus told them, certainly you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown everything we heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, to, and he said amen, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Now, the phrase physician, heal yourself can also be translated Physician, heal your own. So what Jesus is saying is those in his hometown will ask Jesus to heal them, to heal his own, as he had healed those in Capernaum. But this healing was not to be. Because as Matthew tells us in Matthew thirteen fifty eight, Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And in Mark 6, 5 through 6, Mark says he could not do any, any miracles there Except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. So the people of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, well, they wanted Jesus to do miracles and heal them, but Jesus could not. Not because Jesus did not want to do miracles, not because he did not want to heal them, but because of their unbelief. Because they did not believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, their long awaited Messiah. And Jesus goes on to show them the consequences of their unbelief. Their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah is also a rejection of God's salvation. So God will send his salvation to the Gentiles, to those who are not a part of national Israel, not a part of God's covenant people. And to illustrate this truth, Jesus talks about two events from Israel's history where God has already done this. First, in Luke 4, 25-26, Jesus says, but truly, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, where the sky was shut for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow of Zarephath inside him. So Jesus reminds the people in his hometown of a time when Israel was in deep darkness and depravity. Under the rule of crooked King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, well, they were wrapped up in idol worship. They rejected the prophets the Lord sent to call Israel to repentance. So Elijah, the Lord's prophet, pronounced God's judgment on Israel because they were rejecting God's rule by rejecting his prophets. They weren't obeying his commandments. So at the word of Elijah, rain did not fall on the land for three and a half years. And this produced a famine throughout the land. Through Elijah, God was saying to his people, well, you don't want to seek me. You don't want my favor. You want to worship other gods? Okay, then let those so-called gods give you rain. Let those so-called gods feed you. Now, many widows in Israel were starving during the days of that famine in the land, and God could have sent Elijah to feed Israel's widows, but because God's people were rejecting him, because Israel lacked faith in God, well, God sent Elijah to a Gentile widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And because she had faith, And because she obeyed the word of the Lord spoken through Elijah, well, God miraculously supplied her with food. Her jars of wheat and oil were miraculously filled day after day, so she never lacked food throughout the famine. God's people were starving because they rejected God's rule, so God sent his salvation to the Gentiles. Jesus gives a second example of this from Israel's history, this time from the days of Elisha. And I did not misspeak. There's Elijah and there's Elisha. They're two different dudes. (laughs) So this time from Elisha the prophet. In Luke 4, 27, Jesus says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was healed except Naaman the Syrian. So there were a lot of people who had leprosy in Israel during the days of Elisha. And God could have sent Elisha to heal any one of them, but not one of them was healed. God could do no mighty miracle there because of their unbelief. So God sent his salvation to the Gentiles. A man named Naaman came to Elisha. Naaman was a pagan Gentile soldier from one of Israel's enemies, Syria. God sent Naaman to Elisha to be healed of his leprosy. And because Naaman believed the Lord and obeyed the command of the Lord, even though he didn't want to, if you read that story, Naaman was like, why do I got to go dip in this river when I could go to this other? There's better places to go. But Naaman eventually did obey the Lord. He obeyed the Lord, the the word of the Lord given through the prophet. Because Naaman dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River, well, Naaman was healed. And we see the result of his healing in 2 Kings 5.15. Naaman said this to Elisha. He said, to be sure, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. So while the Jews were busy rejecting God and worshiping pagan idols, the one true God was revealing himself to pagan Gentiles who chose to believe and obey him through his prophets. God's people had rejected God's salvation. So God gave his salvation to the Gentiles who trusted and obeyed him. And Jesus says the same thing is going to happen in his day. God's people are rejecting God's salvation because they don't believe that Jesus is their Messiah because he's not what they expected, because they don't believe he's capable of saving them from their earthly enemies. But Jesus throughout his entire ministry he tried to try to show everyone that their greatest need was not for the Messiah to save them from their earthly enemies, their earthly oppressors, or their earthly poverty. No, their greatest need was for the Messiah to save them from their spiritual enemies, their spiritual oppressors, their spiritual poverty. And we all have the same need. We all need to be freed from our spiritual enemies. Freed from the oppression of Satan. We all need a Savior to free us from our captivity in the kingdom of darkness, to break the chains and destroy the power of sin. We need to be saved from our spiritual famine. We need a healer to heal us from the leprosy of our lawlessness. And that's what the Messiah came to do for us. That's the mission of the Messiah. That Jesus has good news for the spiritually poor. He became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich through our union with him. Jesus has good news for the captive. If we'll trust the Lord and obey his commands, we'll find freedom in him. Jesus will release us from whatever binds us. Jesus has good news for the oppressed. Jesus will lighten our load if we'll take his yoke upon us and learn from him. Jesus has good news. For the whole of humanity. Now we're we're still living in the year of Jubilee, the year of new beginnings, the year of the Lord's favor. There's no chain our Savior cannot break. There's no sin our healer cannot heal. There's no addiction we cannot conquer through the grace of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our past does not define who we can all become in Christ. Our future is bright if we're among those who accept Jesus as the Messiah, who obey Jesus as our king, and who trust Jesus as our savior and our healer. Now, as we close, let's finish the scene in the synagogue. So the people in the synagogue in Jesus' hometown, they finally heard enough of what Jesus had to say. And in Luke 4:28, Luke tells us what happened next. He says, all those who were in the synagogue were filled with rage when they heard these things. They got up and drove him out of the town They led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the middle of them and went on his way. So all the people in that synagogue went from favorable to furious, and then they went from accepting Jesus to rejecting Jesus all within a matter of minutes. And they wanted to kill Jesus because he told them the message of salvation was going to the Gentiles. But why would they be so angry about this? Was because they were religious racist. See, they had no desire for non Jews to be saved. And if this so called Messiah wants to save people outside of our nation, well, the best thing to do is run them out of town and cast them off a cliff. And if we're not careful, we can become just like them. See, we can start to act like we're the only ones God should save. And we can forget that no matter where we come from, Without Jesus, we're all in the same spiritual boat, spiritually blind and enslaved to our sins. No one can earn salvation. No one deserves salvation. That we're all saved because of God's mercy through God's grace offered to us in the Messiah. doesn't matter where you come from, what your race is, none of that matters when it comes to the Messiah. We all need the same thing. So let's always remember Jesus came to offer salvation to the whole world. The Lord anointed Jesus to preach good news to the whole world. The Savior has come. The healer has come. The year of Jubilee is still here. We still live in the day of the Lord's favor. And everyone can have their debts canceled. Everyone can be healed from the disease of sin. No matter their political position, no matter their social status, no matter their race, the only hope for everyone's spiritually poor position the only hope for freedom from spiritual captivity and oppression, the healing we all need is only found in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So when people say there's salvation in some other way, this is why we know there's not. There's only one Savior, it's the Lord Jesus. You can't get there any other way. And that's why Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. We can't get to God any other way than through Jesus. The whole world needs to hear and accept that good news, because that's the mission of the Messiah. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son to this earth on a mission to save all of us, to save us from our sins, save us from Satan, save us from death, from all captivity. Thank you that through our union with him, we can be free from spiritual oppression in every form. Lord, help us to be among those who accept your son and live by his commands through your grace. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. All right, so I'll speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.